0: Under which country's governance does Love Island fall?
1: Which of the Danny Dyers would win in a brawl? Now, listeners, I'm pleased to say that our co host for the last 11 years, Helen Zoltzman, is alive.
0: I'm alive! She's alive. I'm pretty pleased about that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> good for reasons other than the podcast
1: so and for people listening in the future who won't be sensitive to the time release schedule having been delayed of this podcast let's just enlighten uh, what has happened over the past few weeks Helen
0: it's been a strange few weeks if you're sensitive to discussion of medical stuff maybe fast forward the next couple of minutes I, in Tasmania in mid-June I got tonsillitis and it broke bad basically. Um, I woke up one night an hour after I went to bed and my whole neck had swelled up um, and I looked like Nanny from Count Ducula.
1: (laughs) Always finding the positive.
0: I went to the doctor who was like, go to the hospital. I don't know what this is.
1: That's not news you want to hear, is it?
0: But it turned out what I had is something quite unusual in people who are over eight. It was something called retropharyngeal abscesses.
1: Pharyngeal.
0: Because they happen behind your pharynx. Uh-huh. There's a load of unused space in your neck. Like a like an attic in your neck that whereas in the attic you might put your suitcases and Christmas decorations. Or paintings. In in your neck you might put abscesses full of fuss when your immune system is doing something wacky as mine was. So I had to have surgery. And I had to be in intensive care for a few days after said surgery with a breathing pipe. Oh, I see. Because the the abscesses were close around my breathing hole and my aorta, They wanted to tube me in case my breathing hole swelled up and I died.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert on medical conditions, but it does seem that a blockage of the breathing hole would be one that you'd want to avoid.
0: Breathing hole is one of the many medical terms I've learned
1: from (laughs) this experience. My only experience of Australian hospitals is soap operas where everybody dies. (laughs) Was it like that? Well,
0: I didn't die, so not everyone died.
1: Did you see Todd's ghost?
0: Oh, well, no, I was in a ward where everyone was in their 80s, apart from me. Uh Uh, And I felt like quite the spring lamb in that company because people are like, oh, your blood pressure's low because you're so young.
1: And how is Martin as a respite carer?
0: Martin was a real champion. uh, And I felt like I was fairly lucid during the five days I was in intensive care. And uh, he got to witness...
2: She was off her tits.
1: Martin, what was the weirdest thing she
2: did? She didn't do anything odd. She would just write these sentences that were complete gibberish and then get really annoyed when no one understood what she was talking about.
0: Because I couldn't speak because I had the tube. I was trying to communicate by writing on my phone.
2: She did a Facebook update which contained two typos. Wow. And at that point, everyone got got really worried.
0: Yeah, that's what really uh, tipped off my friend Amy, that things
1: were serious. Oh my God. Have you just come out of a coma? Technically, yes.
0: Yeah, Yeah, technically I was in a coma, in a medically induced coma.
1: Yeah, how was that?
0: Uh, Well, pretty peaceful for me. Uh, I'd imagine a bit worrying for Martin, because I didn't know it was happening at the time,
1: and he did. What? Didn't they tell you?
0: Uh, They didn't use the term coma, which I think was a good idea. Yeah. It's a panic-inducing term, and I think when it's a medically-induced coma that they're in control of, they should probably use a different term than coma, I think.
1: I agree. They need a different word, don't they? Time for your drug sleep, not coma.
0: Excellent thing about being in hospital for three and a half weeks from mid-June to mid-July 2018 was that I totally missed the Football World Cup. Didn't have a television, didn't have much Wi-Fi, and none of the nurses seemed to give a shit. Richard in Bristol enjoyed watching the World Cup, but he says, the problem is I have a four-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter. During the games, they were constantly hounding me to change the TV to Paw Patrol. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) I, seriously, I don't know what visual crack they put in that show, but Harvey will not take a shit unless it's in a poor Patrol potty. It's wow. extraordinary, the hold that it has over children over a certain age.
0: It's dogs with different professions, right?
1: Um, one of them's a firefighter, mm-hmm. um, one of them's a police officer of some description, one of them drives some kind of green tank.
0: Hmm. So they're public servants, but dogs. Richard says... The only part of the football my children took interest in is when the players walk out accompanied by a child. My eldest has got very excited about being one of these player walkout kids. We live in Bristol. And my team, Sheffield Wednesday, will play Bristol City in October this year. Ollie answer me this, how hard would it be to get my daughter to accompany a Bristol City player?
1: If you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan, why would you want your kid walking out with the other team? Surely you want them to walk out with Sheffield Wednesday, don't you? Or is that not how the mascot thing works? Isn't there a risk that you'd sabotage the game? Like if you had a really devious 11-year-old that they just sort of quietly stabbed the striker's knee or something?
0: Do they not vet these children for violent urges against the players?
1: Um all you need to do to uh, walk in with the Bristol City team is buy a mascot package. That's what it's called. Oh. And for 200 pounds. Um, it would have been 150 quid had the game been midweek, but I checked Sheffield Wednesday versus Bristol City is on a Sunday.
0: Right, that was very assiduous of you.
1: For £200, you get a mascot ticket mm-hmm. plus three guest tickets.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. That seems a bit more reasonable if it's £200 for four.
1: Yeah, exactly. So here, here what else you get. Yeah, You get premier seating in the Lansdowne stand. I assume that's a good seat. Mm-hmm. You get to meet the players in the new home changing room. Ooh, bit of a strange place to send a young girl, but whatever if that's the thing people like to do. You get to have a pre-match buffet in the Mascot Lounge. Now, Mascot Lounge, so with the other kids, pre-match buffet, that just means chips, doesn't it? Is
0: it just like when people buy uh, the chance to do a meet and greet with Katy Perry after her concert? So you're in there with the 18 other people that that paid a grand for that, right? Okay,
1: carry on. Yes. Uh, You get your name and photo in the Match Day programme. Yeah. Um, You get a certificate of participation. Right. You get a PA announcement, but that's the bit I'd like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you get a pre match warm up. Does that mean you after you've seen the young men getting changed, you watch them live up? Bit odd, isn't it? And then you get to lead out the team and have a photo with the captain, which is the bit that we all see on telly. Okay. So actually, to watch the football, it does now cost 25 to £35 pound a ticket. So £100 pounds to go and watch it for a family of four anyway. So you'd expect it to be double that to, to walk on with the team.
0: Take a Tupperware and raid that buffet.
1: So I don't think it's an outrageous price, but also I think it is a bit sad that that is how you come to do it. Mm. That you just hand over £200. Pounds.
0: Do you have to wear a special thing as well? Do you have to pay extra to buy the strip of um, the club? Because those are always super expensive. That's true, yeah. Can a child just go out in their normal clothes?
1: I've never seen it done. Mm. Turn turn up in your Sheffield Wednesday uniform.
0: (laughs) Turn up just in an Everton strip at the Sheffield Wednesday versus Bristol City game. Ultimate troll. Here's another question of sports, sort of, from Laura from Kent, who says, This morning I visited my local public swimming pool to get in a quick swim before work. Uh The pool I go to has communal unisex showers. These communal unisex showers are suitable for a rinse-off and possibly washing your hair. That's as far mm. as I thought it would be acceptable to go when showering in the presence of strangers. My fellow showerers appeared to disagree with me. I was sharing the shower with two men who felt it acceptable to put their hands down the front of their swimming trunks and have a good old scrub of their undercarriage front and back. Mm-hmm. I'm all in favour of personal hygiene. And yes, it is important to keep yourself clean, especially if they were going straight off to work and people have smelt the chlorine on their perineums. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also, chlorine can get really itchy Mm. on your skin. And I'm assuming on the sensitive undercarriage, people would want to rid themselves of that.
1: Yeah, testes, foreskin possibly. Lots of areas there of of sensitivity.
0: But Ollie, answer me this, says Laura. Is it really okay to have that thorough a wash in a communal shower? What is communal shower etiquette? How far should you go when showering in public?
1: I can identify with the issue, especially when there are children around, of being in a communal unisex area and showering and thinking to myself, hmm, do I forego a cleaner penis and just not take the risk of offending anyone or upsetting anyone by, you know, only quasi-graphically putting my hands onto it?
0: I was wondering why you brought up Children, because I was thinking when I was a child and I was in swimming pool changing rooms with my granny or my granddad, I would see adults naked and think, well, that's just... Floppers out everywhere, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. just normal. But then you're thinking putting your hand down your trunks and rubbing with children present would be interpreted in a way that was not intended. Well,
1: only by crazy people, because, you know, I think any objective analysis would show that I would not have an erection, I would not be being um, inappropriate... I would be cleaning my penis and balls. But still, the fact that that conversation might (laughs) then ensue puts me off. So if I'm being honest, I'm aware of the issue you highlight, Laura. But fundamentally, I disagree that anyone who chooses to wash their undercarriage through their swimming trunks Mm. is doing anything wrong. You know, they didn't get their cock and balls out and scrub it along the tiles. That would be too far. Anything else... Look, if it's bothering you, I'm sorry... They don't want a chlorinated cock, and fair enough. Who would? How are they supposed to do it? Are they supposed to wait till they're in the privacy of their changing cubicle and dip their wick in a bottle of Evian? They have (laughs) the opportunity in the communal area to wash, and that's the opportunity they're taking.
0: What layout is the shower at uh, Laura's communal changing room? Is it in the round? Because you could just turn around and face the wall while you're doing your intimate scrubbing, couldn't you?
1: Good point.
0: I think there's a mutual acceptance in this situation that... Well, say most people find it a bit awkward to shower communally Mm. and therefore they might be debating within themselves as well rather than doing this proudly, but needs must. You're all showering, therefore you recognise the function of pouring fresh water onto your body to rinse off your swim. So why are you being such a troublemaker, Laura? You're all just the same.
1: If you've got a question... Email your question to answerme this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Google Time for a question from Jacob from Liverpool who says, I am well into a second contract with a well known entertainment cruise line company. We are currently charting our way around the Alaskan fjords
0: Oh, beautiful I would like to go So would I Let's go, Ollie
1: don't know if I'd like to go on a cruise ship, though, as such Like, obviously, you have to do a boat trip to see the fjords But I don't know if I'd want, like, three weeks at sea to see them
0: I think uh, you can do a week Let's do a week Okay Treat ourselves...
1: What more can I say, says Jacob? The air is so fresh. The landscape views are breathtaking. I bet. (laughs) With the Aaron Copeland and Thomas Newman themes they pump around guest areas, uh, it's an ideal situation for all the senses. Okay. I I didn't know. I I guess it makes sense that particularly sort of big corporate-owned cruise lines would do that just to really, you know, manipulate every part of the experience of being on board.
0: And also probably to cover up some engine noise and air conditioning
1: noise. Yeah. I suppose the only real concern would be if they played My Heart Will Go On. That's when you'd worry. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Jacob continues Uh, I am the ship's only onboard cosmetologist. What is that? Jacob takes care of the uh, performer's wigs and makeup. Wow. Right, right. Okay. So he's a costume technician, basically, cosmetologist.
0: Our listeners have truly fascinating jobs, don't they?
1: My mornings include, he says, washing, setting, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dressing out and Mm -hmm. then maintaining the wigs for the shows and characters as well as dressing our numerous shows and characters in and out of costumes in the evening, and then helping with the laundry at the end of the seemingly never-ending day.
0: Oh, that must suck. Like, midnight, and you've got a load of sweaty performance clothes to deal with.
1: Yes and no. I mean, I've actually... I've just interviewed someone, funnily enough. It's going to come out in a couple of weeks' time on The Modern Man, but I've just interviewed a guy called Andy. Actually, he listens to Answer Me This, so... Uh, Hi, Andy. Hey, Andy, uh, who, uh, for a period, worked for um, Disney Cruises uh, in wow. the 90s. So I'm going to put an episode called Cruising with Mickey. I mean, I've really <laughs> just did it for the title. Um... And he talks about how when you're on a ship, even though it seems ridiculous that you're working that many hours a day, like it is your whole life because you live there. Yeah. So it's not, you can take hours off during the day. You are chatting to guests. He can take time to look at the views. Jacob continues. There are only three of us in what is known as the costume department. There's the senior costume, the costume assistant, and me, Uh the cosmetologist. In recent talks with my shoreside cosmetologist leaders... Uh, we've discussed making cosmetology a separate department from the costume department on board. Uh, Then, in time, I would secure my own space and become an officer myself.
0: Oh, cool. First officer of cosmetology.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I would be able to create my own schedules, laundry not included. Yes, just wigs, no clothes. I've been explaining to my onboard leaders that I need more time to work on wigs rather than laundry and costume maintenance, and that's working well, as they understand maintaining our 300-plus wigs on board. Wow! Wow. Jesus, isn't that like a wig for
2: every child? (laughs) (laughs) I think that was one of Bill Gates' less successful campaigns, wasn't it?
1: I can't fix up all the wigs I would like, ensuring character integrity for our guests' enjoyment because of laundry maintenance. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Character integrity. I wonder if he works for Disney. Ah. Oh. Because the guy I interviewed, Andy, he was, I mean, he was saying that the guys at Disney understandably take this stuff very seriously. And that phrase reeks of that, doesn't it? Character integrity. You know, no one can see Minnie with their head off, all that kind of stuff.
0: does say, well-known entertainment cruise line company.
1: Yeah. I wonder if it is. Mm. Sorry, uh, Jacob, if you wanted to be subtle about that, but I reckon you went for Disney. He was subtle. Yeah, he was. Yeah, exactly. He's done nothing wrong. My recent problem in the saga for change is that my boss has started to take it upon herself to move and transport and deliver items such as facial hair, wigs and head accessories to dressing rooms and performers during her breaks.
0: How dare she?
1: Mutiny. Shove her overboard.
0: Maybe she thinks she's being helpful because she's like... Jacob is so busy and he was here till midnight doing the laundry and then up at five doing the wigs. I'll just help him out without being a bother.
1: Exactly. It sounds like you've briefed her about how busy you are and that's why you need more time to focus on wigs. So she's trying to help in the wrong way is what this seems like to me. My senior, he says, is new to the company in her current position. I get the feeling she just wants to do the greater good rather than personal gain. Yet she doesn't understand. She could get me and the other assistant to share the workload, which she's keeping to herself. Mm-hmm. She complains of sleeping poorly and wanting to murder most of the cast and crew.
0: Oh, this sounds like it's going to work out well. Y-
1: yeah, <laughs> he's put in brackets in jest, of course.
0: Sure, it's in jest now. <laughs>
1: Uh, There is also a tiny language barrier, as she's originally Spanish, and I sometimes revert back to a thick Scouse accent. Okay. So, Helen, answer me this. How do I explain to her that I am the cosmetologist, and I am the only one that should be dealing with all the hairy, furry side of things? There are just as many costume jobs for those two to sort out amongst themselves. Do I go to a higher level of management to ask advice and try not to sound like a dick? Maybe even HR, as I feel my senior may be overwhelmed with work and stress. The incident in question that prompted me to contact you is that she phoned me during her break to ask about a certain pirate's facial hair, items, and makeup. This guy's <laughs> definitely Disney, isn't he? That Jack Sparrow, isn't Shush. he, he's talking about. Shush. What other famous pirate could he be talking about?
0: Captain Pugwash.
1: <laughs> I would love to go on the Captain Pugwash Alaskan cruise. What about Captain Hook?
0: Yeah, what if it's a, a J.M. Barry cruise?
1: Sure, could be. Jay and Barry Cruz, absolutely, yeah. Uh, to ask me about a certain pirates' facial hair, items, and makeup, where they are and what they look like, so she could transfer them to another location on the ship, which made me question her work ethics. Why? I, I, exactly, she's just trying to chip in, right? Surely anyone else would have just made me do the task, which wasn't necessary, as he only wanted the wig to rehearse in. Mm-hmm. After telling her how I feel about her doing my work, which means a lot to me, because I want the job done right, obviously, I still feel she doesn't understand the escalating situation... And how it is consuming me. Yeah,
0: because I think it's escalating in your head and consuming that's right. you. So I think you're taking this too personally. Because I agree. I, I know you feel like your authority as the ship's only cosmetologist is being undermined, but it sounds like she's doing quite menial fetching and carrying jobs as you've described them rather than trying to thrust you aside so she can be the officer of cosmetology. In which case, I think you just keep explaining to her and maybe say you seem stressed to shit today. Take a load off. Don't worry about this stuff. I think we could work more efficiently. You deal with the costumes. So I'm not going to help with the laundry, but I am going to do all of this running around with wigs and moustaches for pirates that you've taken on yourself. Don't worry about that. And just keep persisting with that. And maybe you have a friend on the crew that is bilingual in Scouse and Spanish (laughs) and could maybe be present. So if she is finding anything in English... Uh, difficult to understand because I'd imagine professional vocabulary in a language that's not your first language is pretty fucking difficult even if you've been speaking the other languages for a long time. Maybe that would be a useful backup. But also, if the onshore and offshore leaders have agreed, you need to get them to establish your own space that you've asked for and then it will be a bit harder for her to interfere, won't it? Because... You won't be in the same room as her.
1: Yeah, but the bottom line is, though, she is your senior and mm. she's been appointed as such. So I, I always, I, mean, I sort of never fail to be amazed at the human ability to define a job for ourselves, which in a way is great because it's where entrepreneurialism comes from and it's where people getting promoted comes from, doesn't it? Making the most of the opportunities they have. But at the end of the day, she's your boss. So actually, even if she's being annoying and doesn't seem to fully understand your role as cosmetologist, it's like tough shit. Like, be, aim to be her. Don't aim to uh you know put her in her place
0: yeah well it does also sound like she's trying to be helpful and yeah it, it, you you feel undermined because you think she's doing this because she thinks you don't have it under control because some bosses are micromanagers and you don't yes. want to be micromanaged
1: Also, she might be, if she's new on the ship and she's new to the position, she might be feeling insecure. Maybe she was just trying to cozy up to Jack Sparrow. Sorry, Captain Hugwash. (laughs) And actually, you know, he has an important role in the cast and crew on board because he's an important character, you know. So maybe she was just trying to get some face time there and actually maybe let her have that because, okay, she might not know what she's doing with the wig and that might piss you off when you're watching it from the audience and think it's not that great.
0: I assume that is part of Jacob's problem that she's fucking up the wigs.
1: Yes, and people blame it on him. As the only onboard cosmetologist.
0: And creating more work for him.
1: Yeah, but her motives might be not laudable, but understandable if you put, her, put yourself in her shoes.
0: But I'd imagine that workplace situations are apt to ferment and make you more annoyed than rationally you need to be. And that is amplified when you are trapped on a boat. Yes. And working all the hours of the day.
1: Also, I just think generally, like, you know, away from big ships, it's often the case that bosses know more than they share with their juniors. You know, Mm. there's a need-to-know basis, isn't there? There may be an agenda you know absolutely nothing about, or there may be details that you know absolutely nothing about, big-picture stuff that she knows that you don't. Um, I I think back to when I was a TV researcher about 10 years ago, and I I worked for various different companies, but there's one in particular when I was working at the BBC where I had a boss that used to come to our desk monologuing to us at length, ideas that we'd already got off the ground. Yeah. And I remember we always used to bitch to ourselves and be like, why is he doing... Like, you know, if our, if he's complaining we're not coming up with ideas quickly enough, why is he coming over here and taking up our time telling us ideas we've already pitched to him and got off the ground? And then I realised uh, one day that it wasn't really for our benefit at all. The reason he was doing that is because he then had to go to his boss and pitch our ideas to his boss. And he was basically just rehearsing his patter. And so we were, we were our role then was to be a sounding board for him In a way that felt redundant to us, but if you thought about the big picture, it sort of made sense. Yeah. So there may be a reason that you just don't know.
0: Yeah. Or sometimes people do that because they want to feel some kind of ownership of what's going on. And that is annoying when you feel usurped and underappreciated and underrewarded.
1: But also, we don't like this situation, do we, generally speaking, where bosses get to a high level within a corporate culture having never spent any time on the shop floor. Yeah, I mean, this woman has come onto the boat. She wants to understand how the wigs work. She's
2: rolled her sleeves up.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're the wig specialist. She's not saying she can do it better than you. She wants an understanding of wigs so that she can be your boss. And in a way, that's a good thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, maybe set her down say, how's the job going for you? It's a, it's a lot of work, isn't it? You do say that you want to kill people. Are mm. you okay? <laughs> 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 Presumably, this is what HR are for. If you are really pissed off, they are the people to yes. go to. But I think maybe you don't need to be as pissed off as you are, the way that you've described it. And perhaps we're misreading your email, but you have included quite a lot of information. So I think you're taking this personally, but maybe it's not meant personally. I agree. Get your own room for the wigs. That's that's the important thing, isn't it? Tell them to like rip out one of the shrimp buffets and mm. let it be the wiggery.
1: The Silicon Roundabout's my favourite place To become a webpreneur would be really ace Like that awesome guy Tom Who was my first friend on Myspace We haven't kept in touch Get your foot on the ladder to online success Through Squarespace build a
0: site and get a free web address Then hang around East London until you get hired in the US
1: Mountain View is calling Google have free buffet
0: Thank you very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. And if you've been thinking that you want to set up your own website,
1: then have we got a platform for you.
0: Squarespace has templates all ready to go, award-winning templates, and then drag and drop tools so that you can uh, construct the functions that you want.
1: And they have Google Search Console integrated. So that means you can identify now using Squarespace the keywords that are driving traffic to your site. So you oh. can understand how you rank in search. Oh. So, uh, for example, if you come to realize that the most popular blog on your site was the comment you wrote about Itchy Knuckles, because, I don't know, there's a scarcity of other sites covering that, Bingo! Turn your store that sells disposable contact lenses into a site for people that helps people with their scabby knuckle skin. That's the kind of information you get, you see. And then you can say, ah, people with scabby knuckles are interested in my website. That should be the direction for my business moving forward. And that's free.
0: So go to squarespace.com answer and you can have a two-week trial for free and use Squarespace's features and get used to them and build a little website for yourself.
1: And then if you want to translate that trial into the fully-fledged website of your dreams... Uh, you get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using our code ANSWER. Answer. Hello, it's Jimmy from South London. Um, I've been thinking about the film Castaway with Tom Hanks. Um, So, Helen Ollie, answer me this. Uh, How come FedEx allowed the film to use its name and its branding and all that kind of stuff, even though the whole premise of the film is that he works at FedEx, he's on a FedEx plane, the FedEx plane crashes... And then he's on an island for four years.
0: I have not seen the film Castaway, but now I feel like I have. (laughs) I didn't know that it was a FedEx-related tragedy that precipitated four years alone on the island with just Wilson the ball. But now I do. Thank you, Jimmy.
1: So yes, uh, on a superficial level, that looks like a bad promotional opportunity for FedEx, I'd agree. Uh, However, um, there are a few things you need to consider. First, and primarily, I would say, Tom Hanks. Yeah. In the late 90s, early 2000s, Tom Hanks was the pinnacle between commercial success and critical favour. Think about it. It's a two and a half hour long film about one man alone on an island. They sold it on the basis of Tom Hanks.
0: Everyone wants to be alone with Tom Hanks for two and a half hours.
1: And this was after Forrest Gump. They were basically saying, you know, after this film that was massively commercially successful and won Best Picture, would you like to be associated with the next one from the same director and actor answer... Yes, to almost any brand, the answer's yes.
0: Apparently, also the FedEx thing was Tom Hanks's idea, because he was like, FedEx planes cross the Pacific three times a day. What if one fell out the sky? The brand was, it was not irreplaceable, but it was pretty instrumental to the plot from the sounds of it.
1: Robert Zemeckis, the director, had said, it was important to have a real company yeah, because it was so central to the story. If it was Dave's couriers or whatever, it wouldn't be convincing. The audience would think it was Hollywood hokum and it was supposed to feel like a true It wasn't a true story, although it was based on some true stories and accounts of being stranded and stuff. But it was supposed to feel like it could have been a real life story and this is the movie they made of it. So it really helps that he worked for a real company.
0: And FedEx, they said that they were alarmed when it was first pitched. But then they said that their global brand awareness went uh, through the roof. After the film, it was high in the US already, but outside of the US, they did really well out of it. And also job applications went up 30% after the film. (laughs) And the founder of FedEx uh, plays himself in the film. So FedEx were on board.
1: I find that odd. That like, so the, the end of the, the climax of the movie is actually filmed at FedEx's HQ in Memphis. Right. That I think is bizarre with the real CEO in it, especially since money did not change hands, apparently. So it's not product placement in the conventional sense. They, no. There was no money. They just agreed to it. But they did a bit more than agreeing to it, clearly, because they allowed them to film in their HQ. There's all the you know, the uniforms, the trucks, the branding, the packages yeah. feature all the way throughout the movie. So it's a strange one, isn't it?
0: I also read that this film is the only reason really that What Lies Beneath exists, <laughs> because they had to have a year-long break in shooting so that Tom Hanks could grow out his beard and lose 50 pounds of weight uh, to... Uh, emulate having been on a desert island for four years Mm. and because Robert Zemeckis didn't want the crew to go off and get loads of different jobs and not be able to come back for the second half he made What Lies Beneath with the same crew so he could keep them all.
1: I didn't know that. Anyway um, I I suppose ultimately although it's true that the FedEx plane crashes customers, consumers, punters don't actually get on FedEx planes do they? Mm. So um, the main part of the branding for the customer to take away is a, what a great company to work for. They never gave up the search for him, and when he got home, he got a party.
0: Do they pay him for the four years that he's not been <laughs> at work?
1: How does that count?
2: Does that count as gardening leaf?
1: B, their packaging is shown to be indestructible. It's a bit like the uh, Samsonite suitcases on Lost, right. isn't it? The, the FedEx packages are part of what he constructs his life out of on the island because they land with him and they haven't broken in their plunge to the sea. Oh, So, all in all... It's probably a neutral promotion for FedEx, but with lots of brand awareness.
0: You mentioned Lost, and apparently, after the success of this film, they pitched a TV series based on Castaway, and it was turned down, but it was shopped around, and eventually it was made as Lost.
1: Here's a question from Will in Michigan, who says, I've noticed that in many pictures of jesters... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, already it's a great... I mean, I've never seen many pictures of jesters in my life. I've seen one or two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They are holding a staff with a tinier jester's head at the top end of it. Now, I have seen oh, that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: We're all with Will here.
1: We are, yes. Uh, I have tried to f- discover the origin of this device and what it might have been used for, uh, even going through books on the history of the jester. Wow. Um, but you, Helen, are my last hope. Answer me this. What's the deal with the jester's staff? What's the big idea?
0: I feel a bit sorry for Will that he did so much research... And came up blank because it wasn't all that difficult to find out stuff yeah, about... Ten
1: minutes, 10 minutes on the internet, I'm guessing.
0: Um, I, it was more like uh, 25, uh, but it was... Well, uh, you're
1: on drugs. You're on <laughs> drugs. But, you know, still...
0: Not operating at full capacity. And yet I discovered that um, jesters did often carry these sticks. They're called marots. Oh. And sometimes it was just a stick, or sometimes it had little bells on, or sometimes a, an inflated bladder... Uh, like a balloon.
1: (laughs) Now that is funny. Uh,
0: And sometimes that would be filled with dried peas so you could do a sound effect. And there are various reasons why the staff had a little jester's head on the end. And one of those was just to indicate the jester's profession, because not all jesters were performing in um, a royal court with a uniform. People had one outfit uh, in the Middle Ages,
1: often. But I mean, if their main clothes are the ones that I'm imagining, which are like the red and yellow sort of plush...
0: If they were, but they often weren't.
1: If, like, And they're wearing a silly hat with that on. They really don't need that on the end of the staff as well. Like, I get it. Here comes the comedian.
0: If they did have that on the end of the staff and it matched, then cool. That's good branding. But a lot of them didn't have mm. that uniform. They just had
2: clothes so if they were just wearing t-shirt and jeans they need something to identify themselves as a jester, like exactly. russell Howard haircut in modern day sure. sure
0: medieval t-shirt and jeans equivalent because that was their only outfits
2: and so. it probably wasn't very bright and colorful if it was all covered in shit as mm-hmm. well
0: <laughs> and also they didn't earn a lot of money because they didn't have a trade and they weren't aristocrats they were jesters so they were kind of outside the conventional ways of earning money so if you could get a position in a royal court then great easy street But that was the high-end jester, the ones we hear about. But not every jester's reality.
1: So was it usual to have a staff that had other things on the end of it to indicate other things you might do for a profession? Like, did lawyers have one with a little wig on?
0: It's interesting because monarchs and gods had staffs. Yes. Jesters go back to ancient Egypt, ancient Rome. Those monarchs and gods are often depicted with a staff, with maybe a bird on the end or a sacred animal or a face. And the jesters were kind of a fairground mirror version of monarchs because mm. they were meant to be the only person that could kind of smack talk the monarch. Yeah. And apparently the only person as well who could deliver real bad news to a monarch. That was often their job.
1: Okay, so that isn't just Shakespeare like having a laugh. That no. is that whole kind of conscience of a king shit. is yeah. real.
0: Yes, they are this Weird. this sort of warped reflection of the monarch. So their staff is almost a parody of a scepter.
1: It's a bit like Theresa May having an in-house satirist or something, isn't it?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's
1: like like hiring the writing team of The Thick of It just to sit downstairs and call her a dickhead every time she walks in the room.
0: One other use for the the jester on a stick is that the jester was often performing alone and therefore it meant that they had a patsy or someone just to deliver the jokes to.
1: A straight man, if you will.
0: Or to use kind of as a puppet. Mm. And then there's one theory that I have that I haven't necessarily been able to back up that... It's it's a weapon because you can hit things with a staff and jesters were often sent into difficult situations like battlefields, mm. rather dangerous places. Like
1: a stag night at junglers equivalent. After my commute, when I find the time, I can always send a question to the question line. Inquiries are wanted as a part of the plan. A Helen or Ollie or Martin, the this podcast.
0: Thank you very much to Bluffer's Guides for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This.
1: They are uh, pocket guidebooks on uh, everything you might want to pretend you know stuff about. Uh, So there's one on beer and one on wine and one on dogs and one on chocolate. What have you been reading, Helen?
0: I have read Etiquette Uh and Jazz. I learned that Thelonious Monk's middle name was Sphere.
1: I'm guessing that was the Jazz book, not the uh, Etiquette one.
0: Etiquette is, uh, just call him Mr. Monk until you're on first name terms. (laughs) Etiquette was quite funny because it basically could have been called dealing with people in the upper classes who are several decades older than you and still have formal dinner parties.
1: Sure. I know enough etiquette to deal with people my own age.
0: What I didn't know is that you should never buy a tiara. You should only wear ones that have been inherited and only married women can wear them.
1: I did not know that either.
0: I could have made a real dick of myself. Yeah. (laughs) and it had a very useful bit actually about how to write people letters of condolence nice which I think is something people feel like they should do but they feel almost too awkward to say anything because they think what can you say and there's a letter in there that you could basically copy and just change the names.
1: Um, I've been reading the one about cats.
0: Oh, what did you not know already about cats, given how much you love cats? <laughs> the,
1: the the exact right number and type of scratching post to provide for cats.
0: Oh, how many scratching posts do they
1: need? The right number apparently is at least as many as there are cats in the household. Really? They don't share? No, well, it's not that they don't, it's that it's it makes them anxious if they have to. Huh. Uh, and can lead to behavioural issues. So right. I, and my, a lot of people listening like me will have had two or three cats in the past and just had the one post. Uh, so that's something I learnt.
0: But if you don't care about cats or etiquette or jazz, they have dozens of other guides.
1: Yeah, golf, opera.
0: You can read one in an hour or two if you just want to brush up on something and learn a few funny little facts that you can drop into conversation.
1: Yeah, and all the books, including the all-new Bluffer's Guide to Brexit, uh, are available for 6 99 and uh, they are available with free delivery to UK addresses included when you buy them at bluffers.com.
0: Hi, Helen, Ollie, and Martin, the sound man. It's Lindsay from California. I'm currently sick, laying in my bed, drinking some cranberry juice out of the bottle. It's fine because I live alone. But I started reading the bottle, and on the back it has a picture of a smiling group of people, presumably the growers, as it's stated on the bottle. But they're standing... Amongst a field of cranberries, or in a field of cranberries, floating cranberries, or a very, very large pile of cranberries, but I assume that there's a layer of cranberries floating on some water. But answer me this, is that how they wash the cranberries? Why are they standing in them? It grosses me out. Especially that little girl, She's doesn't even have overalls on. The flooding of cranberries is a very important part of cranberry growing. So, sorry, Lindsay.
1: Cranberries got a flood.
0: They do, at least twice a year. They're grown on low vines, sort of like strawberries, you know, a low plant along mm. the ground.
1: So they're not grown in water because that's a common misconception actually, is Indeed,
0: it? Indeed, yeah, because of all the uh, ocean spray ads, you think they're just grown in a big paddling pool. But no, they're grown in these yeah. <laughs> beds, which are called bogs.
1: I know why the brand wasn't bog spray.
0: Cranberries are grown in sunken beds. Those beds are, for the majority of the year, dry. But they are flooded at two critical times. The first time in winter, Uh because the water insulates them from frost, which can really just destroy your cranberries. So they'll be flooded for several weeks in winter, up to about three months. And then maybe they will drain them and pipe off the water to somewhere else, because they do reuse the water, and then reflood them for a few weeks, late April, early May, to prevent a late frost damage or pests. But then they're flooded again for the harvest in October and a harvester drives through and it knocks off the ripe berries off the plants and those float to the top because there are air pockets inside the cranberry and then they can kind of skim the top of the water to gather the cranberries.
1: Okay, but this picture that Lindsay's seeing on the bottle that's disturbing her of a little girl standing in cranberry bog, Mm. is that a bit like pressing the grapes with your feet like in Greece when they're making wine? Is it part of the process that a person stands in it? Because when you say a harvester, that doesn't suggest a person standing in it.
0: The harvester is, is a vehicle, but then when they are gathering the cranberries, the fields are quite big, but they do wade around in them wearing waders to pull the cranberries somewhere where they can get them out of the water and send them off to be cleaned.
1: So it is still necessary to have people touching the cranberries.
0: It know? is, yeah.
1: So Lindsay, it is an essential part of the process that you're scoffing at.
0: 90 to 95% of cranberries are harvested this way, and then the other 5 to 10% are harvested dry, so they can be sold as the fresh or frozen kind of whole cranberry, because the others you sell them as juice or relish or dried cranberries, processed cranberries. Hello Helen and Ollie and Martin the Salman. It's Sam here from New York. It's my birthday on Sunday and on Friday a co-worker, very enthusiastic co-worker, gave me a gift and they said, oh you're going to love it, it's the best present
1: It's just picked out for you. But foolish enough I managed to lose it before I opened it. I'm going to be seeing this co-worker later in the week and I don't know what was in the present and obviously they're going to ask me about the present. What's the best way to style it out and pretend that I know what the present is without hurting my co-workers' feelings?
0: Ooh, feelings are gonna be hurt.
1: I think so. I don't think there's any way... You have to come clean. There is no other way. You can't style it out. That's it. Sorry.
0: I agree. I think you have to be honest about it. Maybe you can soften the blow by buying them a bunch of flowers or a bottle of a drink that they like or something like that and go... I'm really sorry. I mislaid the present before I opened it and I feel so terrible about it because I know that you put in a lot of effort to choose it. And they'll be like, oh, and you'll be like, I know I'm such a dick. What was in it? And they'll be like, it was a bread knife with a little (laughs) hedgehog on the handle. And you'll be like, oh, that was my dream. And you might be relieved not to get whatever it was. Play up the remorse.
1: Well... That was my concern, was that some acting will be involved. It will. Because almost inevitably, if someone says, this is so you, this gift is so, I saw it, you will love
0: it. It's setting everyone up for a disappointment, you and them.
1: Exactly. They've latched on to a projected part of your personality, uh, which you might not even be aware. Mm. It's certainly not going to be the thing that you think defines you.
0: What if it was a really excellent gift, though?
1: On a footnote, Sam, uh, just judging by his vocal style, sounds to me like a Brit who's now living in New York and working there. Yeah, use
0: the accent privilege. If if it's an American colleague, accent privilege all the way. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of this episode of Answer Me This. I'm glad to be
1: back. Uh, if you have a question for the next episode which will be out on the first thursday of september barring any more surprise illnesses
0: please no please no more surprise illnesses ever
1: <laughs> and then all our contact details are available on our website answer me this, this podcast. Podcast. Dot com. <laughs>
0: You can email us a question, you can also record a question using the voice memo app on your phone or something and email that file to us so we can hear from you.
1: And also remember if you want more Helen and Ollie and Martin, indeed, in your life, we have other side projects on the internet.
0: You mentioned the modern man earlier, Ollie, so you've got cruise ships coming up. What is already in the bank that people can binge whilst waiting for cruising with
1: Mickey? I've got an interview out with uh, the performance scientist Dr. Steve Ingham. He's um, a guy who trains Olympic champions, like proper ones. He trained Jessica Ennis Hill from the age of like 17 or something to become a gold-winning Olympian. And even if you're not at all interested in sport, as you know I am not, Uh, it's an interesting interview because he tells you basically about I suppose it's self-help isn't it it's motivation it's how do you manage to become a champion and put all your other wants and desires to one side so uh, that's available now along with about 80 other episodes uh, at modernmanwith2n.co.uk
0: do you think you are now better able to become the athletic champion that you've always uh, held back from being so far
1: i think if you could see me now physically helen the answer to that question would be evident
0: (laughs) (laughs) my show the illusionist is back after a surprise hospital break and uh, it is an entertainment show based around linguistics and how many of those do you come across in your lifetime i also have a lot of live dates coming up in september i have a bunch around the uk and october november i'm touring the us and a tiny bit of canada so um, that's at theillusionist.org. You can find the show and the gig listings. And Martin will be playing live music at those gigs. He's very good in them. Thanks.
1: I'm glad to hear as a function, apart from just looking after your drug trolley. <laughs> and, and Martin, <laughs> uh, your podcast, Song by Song, tell us about that.
2: It's a podcast in which we talk about every Tom Waits song in chronological order, but we also talk about other music as well. And we have some fun guests. Uh, you can find that at songbysongpodcast.com.
0: Our friend... Sam Clements, who uh, makes the Picture House podcast, bought Martin as a gift. The oh. mid nineties film Bram Stoker's Dracula,
1: mm.
0: not starring Tom Waits, but with a bit part involving Tom Waits.
1: Mm. Oh, I didn't know that uh, Tom Waits was in that because obviously, like my main focus when I saw it and I had it on VHS, Boobs. was to
2: constantly Boobs. rewind the bits Boobs. where <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Keanu Reeves gets a handjob from a vampire. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> <laughs> but good, I'm glad Tom Waits is in it too. It's shit though, isn't it?
2: It was unwatchably bad. We managed an hour, and that was good going to be honest. And
0: I was on a lot of painkillers, and I couldn't make it beyond mm. an hour.
2: I'm a Tom Waits fan, but he should not be the best thing about a film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are good people. I mean, that's that is directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It is starring Gary Richard E. Grant, Gary yeah. Oldman, Gary Elwes. It is.
2: It's a stinker. It's yeah. It's a stylized stinker.
0: Even for the love of Tom, Martin couldn't drag <laughs> himself through the whole thing. Um, Maybe there's a super cup with just the scenes where Tom Waits is eating flies in his cell. Anyway, you can hear Martin talking about Tom Waits in a more enthusiastic way on Song by Song. We are also in your feeds halfway through each month with an episode from the Answer Me This archives, which are extensive.
1: Yes, but you need to subscribe to hear that episode. So uh, make sure you subscribe to us on on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Then just uh, sit back and enjoy some more question-answering entertainment uh, at a moment of your leisure.
0: We're here to be in your ears, as we have been for the past 11 and a half years, except for last month when I was in hospital, unable to speak.
1: Yep. What, what she said.
0: Why, why are you smirking at me, Martin? Why are you making a kind of angry rabbit face?
1: Because there was just one moment in his life where he could enjoy you not being able to speak, and it was tainted by sadness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a confusing emotion for all of us. Uh, anyway, see you next time.
2: Bye! Bye.